It is mid-2023. It's getting cold, it's getting wet, and yet we are so thrilled that you would want to continue to engage with WA Country Cricket through this podcast as we dive into episode 19 of Out on the Paddock. Albany stalwart Wayne Harrington sometimes describes himself as the most fortunate of unlucky cricketers. By his own admission... He had absolutely no right to suddenly find himself back in the day representing the University of Sussex in an international tournament in Malaysia and Singapore in the 1990s. And when he accidentally arrived one month early to a mate's wedding in Melbourne, this followed a yet another how-the-heck-did-I-get-here game, this time on the hallowed turf of MCG. Add to this another against a touring Welsh side at the historic Albert Park ground and suddenly fortune and being in the right place at the right time can define a country cricketer's career. Either way, Wayne Harrington, or Harrow as most of us know him, appreciates what the game has given him and is now dedicated to paying it forward, now very much down in the great southern region of WA. My name is Rob Marshall. You are listening to Out on the Paddock and we hope that you'll now sit back and enjoy some wonderful cricket and country yarns and the journey of Wayne Harrington. Wayne Harrington, welcome to Out on the Paddock. Great to have you joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Great to be here. I'm very honoured. Well, mate, well. We're going to start off by just calling out the fact that I think those who do know you, and many do, no doubt, would probably know you by the nickname of Harrow. Now, I'm going to just run with, it's pretty darn obvious why it's Harrow, I'm guessing, unless you're going to tell me there's a story. Uh, but uh, through through the course of, of these events, of this podcast, uh, we're going to run with Harrow. We're, we're okay with that, are we? Yeah, only my mum calls me Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> well, funny you say that. You know, the only time I get called Robert is when I go back to Harvey, my growing up days, and I suddenly feel like I'm 12 again. You know, all the people <laughs> around Harvey call me Robert. And like, I know I remember somebody recently from my my life now saying to me, we went to Harvey the other day and somebody said Robert Marshall and for a while we didn't know who they were talking about, you know, I've just been robbed for so long. So it's funny how you say that, you know, your your name sort of becomes your identity. Yeah, yeah. my father actually introduced me once as Gary Philip Bradley Dean, old bloody Wayne. Yeah. (laughs) Big family, (laughs) see. There you go. So, Harrow, uh, I'm going to get uh, not not the elephant out of the room, but uh, in the preamble or in the conversations that you had, you and I had in the lead up to this, I know you were just a little bit concerned about this, so we're just going to tackle it head on straight up. I need Wayne Harrington to tell us, the audience, the listeners, what does what? How would Wayne Harrington, if he was writing up an article about Wayne Harrington, the country cricketer? How would you critique Wayne Harrington, the cricketer? Tell us about Wayne Harrington. Oh, in cricket terms, I would say, um, and this is something that Mrs Harrington describes me as actually, she goes, I I have this imposter's veneer of an international cricket career, (laughs) which um, (laughs) which is a bit rude, I think, but, you know, she's a school teacher, so we'll let her off. (laughs) 
So expand on that. Um, and we're going to dig into your background and your history. And I note uh, born in Narragin, but uh, I quite often ask our guests, and you've responded, uh, that you count yourself as a darkened boy. So uh, tell, tell us a bit about Wayne Harrington, the cricketer, growing up. Where did it all start and how did it, how did, how did it all start to unfold for you? Look, I... I think I've been obsessed by cricket for as long as I can remember. And um, I just have this vision of my dad um, walking up to the farm gate after another long and tedious day of shearing and finding me at the gate just every single day wanting him to bowl at me. And I, I look back now and I just think, oh, that poor man, you know, he must have just hated that <laughs> sight of seeing me there every day. And, and look, sometimes he'd bowl a few and sometimes he couldn't or wouldn't, and I don't blame him. But, um, no, I certainly, you know, loved cricket from an early age and would spend hours outside, you know, throwing a ball against the steps and, and bowling and commentating and running around and, um, yeah, and certainly – you know, country cricket growing up as a as a kid, it, um, you know, I was coached like all the kids of my my age group by uh, by Dennis Wooten, the father of my my very good friend Jeffrey Dennis Wooten. Ah, and um, absolutely, and he was fantastic with us. And so, you know, I can say that dark and junior cricket looked very much like uh, playing on concrete wickets with a, a bit of gravel spread over it or on a good day they would roll out um, canvas and these two canvas mats yes. would be rolled out on the concrete and they'd be they'd be pinned down with the, the valves out of an old Holden 186 engine and, um, and that's how we played and we <laughs> loved it. We loved every minute of it. And so it was a really, a really foreign thing when in, in first year high school I was sent away um, willingly, I say sent away, it sounds bad, but I willingly went to um, Aquinas College and all of a sudden you go from playing on concrete to to training on turf. Mm. I mean, it was just the most surreal experience, Rob, for a country kid. Mm-hmm. The, the mat, so well, a couple of things. Dad, was he a cricketer or did you come from cricketing stock or was this something that you just... Gained a, a bit of an obsession, I think you called it, or a bit of a passion for of your own volition, or how did that um, unfold? No, um, Dad was not a cricketer. He was a bit of a footballer, um, and yep. not really any other cricketers in our in our family or in my ancestry. Really, not serious ones. So, I um, I guess I was influenced by what was happening on TV at the time. So my brothers and sisters, I'm the, the youngest of six and, and most of them had um, moved away and married and and gone off in the world. So I spent uh, a lot of time on my own and I really appreciated that it was, you know, televised cricket was a pretty big thing then and, of course, you know, Lily and Thompson were going mad yep. in the early 70s so I think we were all influenced by that and we were all Dennis Lily at school <laughs> and um, they were just wonderful times. They were and then the second thing that came, you know, sort of reflecting on your, your journey, that conversation around matting. Now, I reckon there'd be a lot of younger ones listening now going, what, what is he talking about matting? Now, was this, this wasn't yeah, – and I, I've never been able to unpack this. My dad used to talk about playing on coir matting. Is, I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to or I remember playing a, a – 
believe this or not, especially for the guys who are playing Country Cup right now, I can remember playing a Country Cup match against Warren Blackwood down in Manjimup and they just rolled some matting out on the grass. It was just it was just matting. That's all it was. It was just like um, canvas, I suppose. Is that, is that what you're referring to? Is that what Absolutely. you were playing with? Yeah. yeah. yeah two, two huge big canvas mats yep. um, rolled out and so there was a gap in the middle. Yes, that's correct. Um, yep. You know, big thick stitched seams and there was yes. maybe about eight or nine inches of concrete in the middle. Yes. Plus this hessian uh, canvas seam. So, you know, anyone bowling short, if you hit one of those edges and you're batting, you had to fly. Uh, get your wits about you. <laughs> no, no helmets back then, of course, Rob. But yeah, no helmets, and and like you say, anybody who was you know of a of a bit quicker pace than me was always generally looking to hit that bit of a gap from time to time because you didn't know where it was going to go. But bizarrely, my memory is, and I only played on it once. My memory was it, it actually wasn't too bad to bat on. It wasn't as if it was crazy all over the shop. You know, once you got used to it, it was quite good to bat on. Um, no, there, there certainly... was absolutely no sideways whatsoever. No. I mean, Pretty, no. pretty true bounce. And, yeah. you know, the balls didn't stay shiny for very long. I mean, yeah. back then there was no grass in the outfield anyway, so it was very much a batsman's <laughs> game. So, you know, as, as a kid, <laughs> we'd see fantastic country cricketers who had just bat all day. Cliff Perry was, you know, one of the finest players, you know, um, out of darken cricket, and he would bat all day. He was a fantastic batsman. Once he got in, he just stayed in. Ooh, Cliff Perry. I, I have a feeling he might have ended up in Harvey and ended up um, at, at some stage. So there's a name. I'd like to dig into that a bit deeper, but we're here for Wayne Harrington's story. Um, when did you sort of get to a point where you went, uh, was it once you got to school and started playing on turf wickets that you thought, well, you know, I can I can really start to, to expand because I do note that you did go on and play a little bit of cricket in England. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, look, I, I was just very, very lucky. Rob, um, being at Aquinas because, as I say, it's, I, I very quickly realised that it was, um, it was a blessing to be finding yourself living with all these of your best mates and at basically a country club and it was such a well-appointed place to be. Yeah. And, um, and there was as much cricket as you wanted to play. So I really enjoyed my school cricket and did the best I could without being outstanding. And um, but what was really fantastic, and and probably led to this realization that you can do a lot of things and meet a lot of people and go a lot of places without being a, a first class cricketer. And that was when um, I was lucky enough to be picked in a, a PSA team to go away to England in 1987, which was actually the year after I'd left school. So they right. sent those tours back then every two, sometimes three years. So. Um, I went while I was at university, actually, and um, and had that tour over there, and it was just amazing to be on the other side of the world and see see places and play at places which I'd only seen on TV, and to yeah. be walking in the footsteps of those people. I think, looking back now, you know, it's really affected my life completely because. Yep. I love the history of the game. I'm a collector of cricket memorabilia. Um, I have a lot of old stuff and I just I just love it. And so it's definitely shaped me as a person and as a cricketer, I think. I'd have to agree. I mean, uh, clearly you did it 
um, at a younger age. I didn't get to England till I was in my late 20s, bizarrely, for various reasons. And it, and it definitely defined so much of what I've done since. It certainly, I've, I'll go to my grave saying it definitely improved my cricket. I probably had my, be- my best cricket years between 30 and 40 because I learned how to really play, in particular really learned how to bat in England in a way that I thought I knew how to do here in Australia. So I'm guessing you, like me, would would put the call out that if there is a, a young person listening in on the podcast right now in Country WA who's going, should I, you know, post-pandemic, those opportunities are, are starting to open up again, should I consider going and playing a bit of cricket in England? I'm a definite yes. Is, is that how you still see it? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I say to the young guys now down in, in Albany at any of the clubs, if they're keen to go, they should go. In fact, in two weeks' time, I'm, you know, we're hopping on a plane going to England and um, off to see uh, the stepson, the 22-year-old. He's over there in, in Worcester as we speak playing village cricket and Brilliant. having a great time and, yep. you know, learning a lot about the world as well, I should imagine. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm, I may have been in my late 20s, but I certainly grew up a lot while I was <laughs> in Yorkshire, uh, learned a few things, including that you know, us Australians think we, we're we uh, pretty good at a number of things, but the English will soon bring you down if you're uh, if you're a bit too cocky. Uh, so I learned a few things there. Mum and Dad, um, we, we, I don't want to sort of um, miss the story of them because amazingly my, my mail says still alive and uh, 96, Dad, is that correct? Yep. yep, Dad's 96, Mum's nearly 94, yeah. so we've got wow. about 190 years' worth of human there and, um, <laughs> and they're still going great. That is incredible. That is incredible. And have you mentioned to Dad that, you know, it's not too late to get into cricket if he wants to, you know, with veterans these days. We've got an (laughs) over 70s and over 80s, you know, he could lead an over 90s perhaps. (laughs) Dad thinks I'm absolutely mad. Is that the... (laughs) Absolutely mad, yeah. But but it's funny, you know, what they've sacrificed. I mean, when, when they sent me away to school, Rob, you know, the, the early 80s was a, a tough time for farmers everywhere, I think. Um, mm, definitely. Um, was not particularly treating us well. And um, and then just as I left school and got picked to go to England, and, and I remember this so distinctly, that there was a lot of money to raise for me to, to get to go. Um, there, yep. there was no sponsorship or anything like that. I had to make a lot of money in a reasonably short amount of time. And um, Dad said, all right, then we'll look what we'll do. We'll, uh, I know um, the Shinzik's next door uh, are crutching soon, so what we'll do is we'll go, go next door and, and do a few days' work there and that'll, um, that'll get us underway. And so what happened was that after three days of he and I um, crutching together next door at Shino's place, uh, Mr Shinzik came round with the checkbook and I naturally assumed that Dad was working for Dad and Wayne was working for Wayne and that was fine. But what Dad said when... When Colin came around with the with the checkbook, Dad goes, "Oh, no, look, don't don't write one for me. Just write, just put my money onto Wayne's. He's going to England, and, and he needs to raise as much as we can." And you know, wow, it um, you know, in those days, your dad would never say that he loved you. Yeah, but I can tell you, Rob, that nothing says I love you more than yeah. a boy who's prepared to do that for you and um, yeah. and hand over the money. And, you know, I've never forgotten. That is so good. You're right. There's so many things, you know, especially from 
those uh, tough years, I'm guessing. I'm guessing, obviously, with their age, mum and dad both, you know, obviously had to endure World War Two in particular and uh, the, the toughness that that brought, up, uh, brought about meant that love was expressed in different ways and perhaps maybe we talk about doing it today and, and I've got no doubt I can, and I can see for the listeners, I can see the emotion that, that's drawn up in you just recounting that story and uh, that that's a fabulous story and, man, I'm, uh, I don't know your dad but I'm a fan already. That's uh, amazing. There's a lot to love about him, Rob, and, you know, yeah, you know, a lot of us, you know, with, with older parents, um, you know, these were people who were born during the Depression and then lived through World War Two. So uh, Dad was yep. the youngest of 13. Um, Mum was wow. up the road at a farm not far away. So, yeah, they were different times. And Dad did it particularly tough as a little kid and there wasn't a lot of love for him. But, you know, later on in his life, certainly, you know, when I was in my teens, I think they both... Um, they both understood clearly that love was a doing thing yeah. and the saying thing, yeah. but they did plenty of it. And yeah. um, and we certainly never went without. And, you know, what was fantastic about all of that is and the opportunity to go to a private school like Aquinas like, and my brothers and sisters didn't get, you know, the same opportunities that I had being the youngest. So um, I'm just very appreciative that it opened a lot of doors and, and cricket, you know, is fantastic for that. You, you can get to meet a lot of people and travel to a lot of places. So, and I guess these days it's about, well, what do I do? I'd, and yeah. it would be rude to do anything other than to pay it forward. And Absolutely, to, um, yeah. And to encourage people to to pursue those sort of dreams and to and to work hard to provide facilities for, for kids to play cricket regardless of their backgrounds. And I kind of, I kind of work with the fact that unless we do have uh, purpose like that, then why are we still involved? Certainly, uh, you know, you're of a similar age to me. We, there's got to be purpose, and we're going to circle around in, in shortly to some of the things that you're now involved with, especially down in Albany, and some exciting things that are happening down there. Um, but certainly, I can already, I can assure you, and you don't have to respond to this, but clearly, uh, Dad's influence is significant in your life, which is something that uh, sits well in my heart as well um, and I'm sure mum as well, um, be, sometimes behind the scenes in from that era but certainly doing a lot of the, the, the heavy lifting as well at different yeah. times, especially if there was uh, a few few kids around um, with brothers and sisters, et cetera. Um, so dark and um, still hold a, a bit of a special place in your heart? Um, yeah, I still refer to it as home, that's for sure. Yeah. And I've still yeah. got a brother there and sisters there. Um, you know, we're, I think the family's still pretty well known in the farming community. So, yeah, I, I always think of, of darkness being home. So moving into the, the next phase of your life, post-uni, post-England, and, and not necessarily just all about cricket because I think one of the things that I'm loving capturing about your story and we're wanting to capture this more and more through the podcast and not just focus on perhaps 
always players who've gone all the way in country cricket. We do celebrate that, of course, and we've been capturing some amazing stories. And if you're listening in and you haven't gone back and listened to some of those episodes, I'd encourage you to do so. But, you know, the, the cricketers who, you know, a bit like yourself who didn't necessarily go all the way, um, from your perspective, um, obviously uh, work started to creep in and, and your work is is predominantly been journalism from my understanding for most of your journey. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I um, studied journalism at uh, a university when I left school and I was playing for South Perth at the time. Um, didn't rise to any great heights either at uni or at South Perth, to be fair, um, but played some second-grade cricket that was that was where I reached as a, a cricketer at South Perth and really enjoyed that. And then when I finished uni, went to um, – I worked for what was the Collie Mail newspaper group. So I started in Bridgetown and ended in, in Collie and, and played some cricket there with with guys who I first played against when I was a kid in Darkin because <laughs> when Darkin had a team back then, we were in the, in the Collie Association and had to drive the 60Ks down the road to take on the old enemy and – you know, guys who you would know and, and remember well, you know, playing against these big, tough, you know, coal miners, Doug Crow and Brett Hansen and yes. Peter Rowe and Kevin Ireland and these guys. It was um, yeah. a tough upbringing and then all of a sudden you're playing alongside them, which which was fantastic. Yes. So I did really enjoy my, my time in Collie and, and they're still great mates today. And then it was a, a quick drift. Yep. So we'll get to that in a moment. Your connection with Bunbury, the Collie connection, I've got to call out. I, I think probably some of the most miserable days of cricket I've ever played have been in Collie at the hands of some of those guys that you just spoke about, just completely demoralising us uh, young boys from Harvey at different times. Um, there were some amazing cricketers in Collie through the 80s and 90s in particular that just they 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 showed no mercy to be honest with you they if they were beating you they would just beat you even harder so uh, tough cricketers really really tough cricketers so i'm hearing your pain on that one um <laughs> where's the where's the association then with bunbury you then moved on and and got associated with bunbury cricket yeah i um got my first job as a newspaper editor um while i was working in collie so it was down the hill and uh was living in Eton and um, my good mate Jeff Wooten, who I've mentioned, we um, we were sort of moved to Bunbury at about the same time. So we we both transitioned from from Bullfinch in Collie uh, to Marist together, which was fantastic, and enjoyed some great times there. And uh, you know, made some some great friendships, and it was really good to see them all of those guys again the other day at the Masters Carnival, which I'm sure we'll talk about again very soon. Yes. But, um, yeah. Great to to see great mates like the the Deerings and the Tamazis and the Bucks and, and these sort of guys. Brilliant fellas. Yes, and, and we, we've, uh, we seem to have got stuck on a little bit of a Maris flavour out of the paddock. I don't know why because, you know, you talk about tough opposition. They were the ones that then belted us up at Harvey in the in the 2000s, although we might have had one or two wins over them from memory, but uh, in the grand final just quietly. But uh, they, uh, they were they were amazing, amazing cricket club as well. Um, the last part of your cricket journey because I want to dig into some other aspects of cricket in particular in your life and uh, not just focus purely on on playing but 
the last part of your journey has predominantly been down in the Great Southern and, and around Albany. What um, what drew you to there? I'm guessing work again. Yeah, it was work again. I um, got a really good opportunity work-wise to, to manage a, a community newspaper uh, down in Albany. Um, I've been here for just about 21 years now. And um, as soon as I came down, I had well, – it was interesting because before I shifted over, I was actually living in Bustleton and working in Bunbury and um, Brian Woods had heard news that I was headed over to to Albany and he actually came and met me in Bustleton one day and said, look, if you're going to Albany, you've got to suit up for railways. It's the only option for you. That's just what you need to do. And I said, yep. yeah, okay, well, whatever. We'll just get over there and see what happens. And, of course, I got over there and um, – the first guys I meet a very good mate of mine, the late great Joe Porter, who said, mm-hmm. um, "Look, Harrow, this is very, very simple. You're either playing for Royals or you're not allowed in my house." <laughs> so, um, and he had Gavin Morton standing behind him, nodding, saying, "Yep, no, this is your only option." So it's it's been Royals for me. Um, Terry Eaton wasn't happy, Woodsy wasn't happy, but then they're really happy anyway, so it doesn't matter much. <laughs> yeah, no, I can assure you that Terry Eaton, I mean, we used to, you know, I think many of us of our era talked about um, Alan Border being Captain Grumpy. Well, during that same period, I was playing at Harvey and we had our own Captain Grumpy and it was in the form of Terry Eaton, don't worry. He was... Yeah, it was uh, wasn't it? <laughs> He was. He was almost like it was. I used to have to sort of scratch my head every now to say, now and then to say, "Am I playing for Australia right now or Harvey?" Because it feels like we've got the same captain. That's for sure. So uh, yeah, he was. He's a tough competitor, Terry. Um, so, no, absolutely no. Right in my hitting zone. Royals and uh, railways are uh, clearly um, uh, a big rivalry in Albany over a, a long period of time. Yeah, they are. And look, railways have been the dominant force in cricket. In, uh, in Albany for a long time now and um, I think when I first went to Albany in 02, uh, we won the grand final that year, 02, 03, and then hadn't won one again until only a couple of years ago. So um, wow. in between times everyone else was getting a taste of the flags and mostly railways and um, but now it's being shared around a bit. Yeah, Mount Barker this year from memory. Is that and correct? I think. Uh, mm. And the year before, yeah, seemed to be on a bit of a roll at the moment. The the Barker boys got a good good uh, good selection of players there at the moment. Um, did you did you sort of you know find that Albany was a different type of cricket perhaps to Bunbury, or was it you know a similar level, or how was your experience comparing it to say Bunbury? Robert was very similar at that point because I was mindful of the fact that um, there was this really strong Albany cricket culture. Um, I'd been on the receiving end um, when I was playing for Collie at the Wacker one day and got to see up close just how good some of these Albany guys were. So um, having to face a guy like Paul Rowe, you know, steaming steaming in with the the wind behind him, the Frio doctor, you know, bowling high 130s at least, that was truly, truly frightening. Yes. Um, Andy Gray bowling spinners from the other end. Um, yeah, Gavin Morgan was involved. Brian Woods made 80 or 90-odd against us. <laughs> um, yeah. Just absolutely awesome cricketers. So when I got down there, it was it was almost on par with Bunbury, I'd say. A yeah. slightly smaller pool, but the top end of that pool, um, very impressive cricketers. 
and continues to be. You know, Albany continue to to be one of the dominant forces in WA country cricket and, uh, you know, evidenced by, you know, recent country cup results over the last few years and certainly representation in the WA Country 11, Albany's always uh, strong in that respect. So, uh, yeah, it continues to this day. Um, I think uh, you mentioned Joe Porter um, yep. you know, and you mentioned our Masters Carnival, one of the first Masters Carnivals Joe played for what we now refer to as Colbany, where Collie and Albany combined, and that was uh, a bit of an initiative from Terry Eaton and a couple others, including Kim Rush. Kim Rush reminds me every time I see him about Joe Porter hitting me for I think it was three or four sixes on um, Forest Park East. They're, they're still looking for the ball. They landed somewhere north of the North Oval. So if you know the uh, Forest Park ground, you know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One definitely cleared the building there, the building that's just been demolished, uh, funnily enough, uh, recently. So I'm pretty glad about that because now he can't remind me of how far it went over the top of that building. But uh, a phenomenal cricketer, Joe Porter, unbelievable. Um, he was very, very at, good, wasn't he? And, um, even in he, his uh, veteran age. Yeah, he... Um, I. No one would argue more with anyone than Joe Porter. He was the first time I met him. Um, Brett Hansen said, "Look, you've got to come and meet this guy. He's just hilarious. You'll find him brilliant." And I said, "Well, everything I've heard about him says that most people think he's a dickhead." And so yeah. Yeah, I meet this guy, Joe Porter, <laughs> in Collie. And um, when I'm said, "Oh, yeah, good day, Joe Wayne Harrington. I'm, I'm here for an argument." He goes, "No, you're not." <laughs> so he's obviously he was obviously a bit of a Monty Python Monty fan. Python fan, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, you're not. Yeah. Joe and I ended up ended up, um, you know, being roommates together in a in a house in Collie, and and we had some great times. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. Your journalism, uh, journalism. I'll get that out right. Uh, struggling with the tongue today. Your journalism um, now leads you to, to to have your own publication effectively and also note you you work with one that I see regularly around the newsstands all around Western Australia in particular, Western Anglia. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, your current work and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. I um, started um, when I left the, the Great Southern Weekend uh, five or six years ago now, um, started my own lifestyle magazine um, and... Yep was told that was a stupid thing to do because advertisers are deserting newsprint, you know, in a hell of a hurry, and that's certainly true. But, you know, Albany's a funny place. It's not like most other places, and I think we just have the sort of demographic there um, where people love to read about themselves and they just love reading full stop. They love the tangible nature of, of papers and magazines. So, um, So this has been... A successful sort of enterprise, I suppose. Um, it constantly surprises me how it, it sort of gets traction with readers, um, and there are just so many fantastic stories down there today. And it's a great place to live: food and wine and sport and history. So, um, you know, there's a lot of fodder there for for me. And. Western Angler, you, I know you've got a connection there as well and certainly, um, you know, if we go outside of the, the, the cricket passion you have, there's a little bit of a connection with fishing. And Yeah, that's right. I, um, a, a journalist mate of mine, Scott Coglin, who uh, did some work with me at the weekend uh, for a while, he owns the Western Angler magazine and I um, four times a year I do the production for that. So 
um, and he just lives yep. down the road, which is fantastic. So we we do that four times a year and spend in between times arguing about football and cricket and um, we do a bit of fishing <laughs> as well, which is nice. And then the other passion, the one that you mentioned a little bit earlier, collecting uh, vintage cricket bats, is that right? And and also I know it's stumps and, well, basically anything that uh, you you might class as cricket memorabilia. There you go. There's another one to wrap your tongue around. Um, tell us that journey. Well, I don't know how I ended up here, but, you know, they say once you have three of anything, then you're a collector. So that means I'm absolutely a collector of vintage cricket bats. So I've got dozens and dozens of the things, um, preferably anything earlier than 1950s. So... Um, you know everything from. So what? What's your earliest one? What's what's your what's your go to? The best one. Well, I've I've moved it on, Rob. But my the, the best cricket bat I've ever had was a, a Bradman bat. Bradman batted with a Sykes. Um, so yeah. I bought. Yes. I acquired a Sykes bat, a Bradman bat, and um, it's the most precious bit of timber I've ever owned. But that is now what we did, Rob. We. Royals Cricket Club had various fairest and best trophies over time. So like with all clubs, they end up on three different things and then trophies get lost and they disappear and you end up with this one fairly modern perpetual trophy. So what we did was um, I took my Bradman and mounted it on a very nice bit of Jarrah, took off all the plaques, off all the other pre-existing um, trophies mm-hmm. and now they're all, all condensed onto one. And, um, yeah, it's a nice bit of kit and, you know, I get a lot of pleasure in seeing that being handed on to a fantastic cricketer every year and, um, yeah, and, and wow. I just hope the lads enjoy, you know, having that in their in their living room or wherever for a year. I'm not sure that all the wives and girlfriends appreciate having it around because it's quite a sizable <laughs> lump of timber, but, um, but the boys like it. Well, I'm, I'm guessing not just uh, enjoy it but understand the history of it. Um so Bradman actually batted with it. Are you aware, or is it one that he just I, I kind of believe it was a Bradman and... bat? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's something. That's something. You, you don't just stick to bats those these days. Stumps. I'm hearing. Yeah, the old old brass top stumps as well. Um, I do tinker a bit of with a little bit of woodwork when I get a chance, and I upcycle some of those into coat hooks and hat racks and things, and and I just yeah. Just collect. And where do we keep all of this? Is it a, a special, you know, is it straight to the pool room or is it, you know, out in well, the garage or where, 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 do you, where do we see all this? It, it required some renovations um, in the past year or so, Rob, but I've got a new, a new office at uh, Club Southerly Magazine these days and, um, and it really is just an indulgent way of um, putting up <laughs> a lot of pictures and putting up um, cricket bat racks all around the place. So... I've got somewhere to display them, but uh, mind you, I've still got a shed full. There you go. And I reckon there's a few listening in right now are going, yeah, we're, we're kind of running out of wall space at home as well. There's uh, there's a lot of memorabilia out there these days. Um, just even getting your tongue around that name's uh, the challenge. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that... I don't know. Uh, I I love, um, especially like you're talking about, the real historic 
stuff. There's a lot of modern stuff that, um, you know, kind of gets mounted in nice cases and stuff like that. And I've, I probably shy away from that a bit these days, but uh, certainly anything that has that historical value. Um, I was telling somebody the other day about, uh, you know, uh, hearing about Bill O'Reilly throwing his boots out of the window at his last test in New Zealand. And I'm going, uh, somebody's clearly got those boots, you know, and they might, they'd be worth a squillion right now. You know, some, some bloke just walking past and got clocked on the head by a pair of boots. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, there's there's that stuff out there that I reckon definitely is worth collecting. It sounds like I'm definitely going to uh, come and check out uh, the room at Southerly Mag when I come down to Albany next because there's some very well things involved. in there. Very, very uh, keen to go and check out. You should bring um, your uh, white ice cream container helmet, Rob. I reckon... Uh, that's just about a vintage class. It could go in my office. Yeah, I still get plenty of, of that. So for those listening in, uh, I was one of the few that sort of made it through the 90s into the well into the 2000s wearing the helmet that uh, never had the face guard. And um, uh, I'm still uh, copying a little bit of um, stuff, you might say, over that these days from guys who played through the 2000s into the 2010s and I'd wander out and usually the first first slip would mutter something like, why would you wear a helmet without a face guard? <laughs> um, but uh, I couldn't see through the through the grill in the early days for some reason, so I just took the face guard off and there it was. I think the, the funniest story from my perspective with that, though, Harrow, you may not be aware, and I, have a sus- I suspect we were actually playing Albany at Country Week and um, I got injured and required a runner. And back then... The rules were the runner had to wear exactly the same cricket equipment as what the batsman was wearing. So they had to madly find another helmet and rip the, the face guard off. So the guy, Scott Fowler, who ran for me, had to come out the bat. And they reckon he looked like he was going to not only run for me during that match, but then whip off to Gloucester Park and run in the third that evening. <laughs> <laughs> he just looked like he was. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm still still copying that one. Um, but anyway, enough about me. Let's get to um, what I call the power play, uh, where I get to where I do get to exert some authority over my guests and uh, and ask some questions that might uh, a little bit off the cuff. Uh, the power play, like we uh, experience in T20 cricket these days, it's my call to call when I want to uh, you know call that that uh, part of the. The, the match up. So I've got a couple of questions here for you, a little bit off the off the cuff, but let's see how you go with them. I know that you are a, a strong student of cricket of all types and uh, enjoy Test cricket in particular. Um, who two players? You're, you can you can have two players over tonight for dinner uh, from the current Australian Test team. Who who you picking and why? Tough question. Oh, that is tough. That's mm. tough. Two players from the current. You can't have Lillian Thompson. You've got to go with the current team. Nathan Lyon, for starters, I think he'd be mm, my first good choice. choice. Um, good-looking rooster, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> operator, as all good-looking guys are. Um, but I understand he's a student of the game as well. And um, I heard him on the Howie Games, I think. Um, yes. Someone who, yep. who you're well-known to. Um Speaks really well. He is very articulate. He's obviously a great thinker um, and about things outside cricket as well. Um, 
All right, so we've got the goat coming for tea. Uh, who else we got? Got to go with somebody else. Uh, look, I'd love to know more about Manus. Yeah. Just to see think... what's going on there. What what's What's behind all of that? I'd love to know more about how he ticks. I think Marnus would like to know a little bit more about Marnus somehow, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's definitely uh, he's he's from a different apple tree to what we see down at Donnybrook, that's for sure. But um, he's um, he's some cricketer, isn't he? He's oh, he something to is. watch. I I, I got to say, he would have been my first choice as well. And I think I think you've gone with the two that I most likely would pick. Um, you know, those listening in right now, part of uh, listening in on a podcast is that you can join in by. Uh, maybe telling us who your two would be for, on social media and what two uh, current Australian test players would you have for dinner tonight. So second part of uh, my power play with Wayne Harrington, uh, these guys have rocked up for dinner. What's Wayne ha- Harrington cooking for dinner or does Wayne Harrington even cook? Wayne Harrington cooks a lot, Rob. Um, well, okay, and, here we go. Uh, yeah, he cooks a lot and... You know, this, this magazine thing I do is very self-indulgent, so there's lots of wine and food involved. Um, so I'm going to go with something that I cooked this week for some visitors. We went with um, seafood chowder featuring some, oh. um, some local seafood. Yes, please. Well, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it's um, lion, Labashane and Marshall for tea now because that's seafood chowder. Yes, please. How good. And uh, coming from the uh, gorgeous oceans around the Great Southern, you can't go wrong really there. You certainly can't. No. Um, just quietly, the only time I've ever been out deep sea fishing is off Albany and I was throwing up in the straits before we'd even got out into the actual ocean. So uh, that shows up how, how well I go on a boat. But uh, I'm quite happy to take the, uh, the the things that come off the boat these days. You won't catch me out uh, fishing out in the deep sea. You sound like the, uh, the mayor of Albany, Dennis Wellington, who a very, very accomplished cricketer in his own right, but he reckons he gets seasick walking across a wet lawn. I'm with Dennis. I'm absolutely with Dennis, yeah. I think he goes by the name of Boots, doesn't he, Boots Wellington? So he's, yeah, (laughs) fair cricketer in his own time, Uh, Dennis. um, Okay, we're still in the power play. Um, I, I've kind of already dug into this a little bit, but uh, I've got to ask, we, we've, we've heard from your memorabilia that, I'm um, getting better with that word just quietly, but um, with, from your memorabilia that uh, you currently have or have had, what, what's, the, what's the holy grail of memorabilia that if you could just have anything you wanted in cricket terms, what would it be? What's out there that you know of that you could... If you could get it, you'd have it in an in a instance. Look, I know Bradman had a lot of baggy greens because it's not like these days where you just have one. Um, one, yeah. But, gee, wouldn't it be the, the baggy green from his last test or his bat from his final test? Um, yeah. We know it's probably yeah. still in pretty good nick. He didn't make many runs that day. But no, no, no. That'd be quite I, something. I'm, that or maybe the ball that Eric Holly's bowled on that day, I'd I'd be pretty happy with that one as well. Yeah, how good would that be? But uh, yeah, no, I think anything Bradman, you can't go wrong. I, I'm a I'm a big student in a former, uh, not in a former, in a previous episode of Out on the Paddock, we uh, had a chat with the House Brothers, Graham and Barry, 
and uh, they're related to the big ship, um, Warwick Armstrong, from back in the 1920s or actually goes back to as far as 1899 playing uh, Test cricket for Australia, uh, anything around that era. I think they still call it the golden era of cricket. That fascinates me no end, you know, something, maybe a bat that Victor Trumper used or even one of the caps. I think Steve Waugh rolled out the skull cap in a, in a test once with the, with the team that that would be right in my hitting zone. So anything of that sort of ilk is uh, uh, it would be something I reckon. To that end, Rob, I've got a um, an Inverarity SS, which obviously fairly recent sort of bit of vintage kit, but it, it picks up really well. And I, you know, chucked a bit of a wobbly a couple of years ago with these heavy bats. I decided I'm just not strong enough. And yep. it's all just ego, these big heavy bats. And I was looking for a light bat, so I grabbed one off the rack and it was the Inverarity, and I went out to Denmark and used it batting out there. And uh, somewhat unkindly, Peter Ross standing behind the stumps goes, Harrow, is it, um, is it retro round? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Yes, good and, and call. I it, and uh, I took it to Masters as well. And um, Ian Brayshaw, who lives down in Albany, and, and, you know, I count him as a good mate, and he's a great contributor to cricket in the great Southern Sticks he um, got hold of Mr. Inverarity, who very kindly um, sent me an email um, prior to the Masters Carnival, which I read to the boys um, and because we encouraged at least one of them to to use the Inverarity SS throughout the weekend for each game. So um, I think he appreciated that one of his bats was still getting about. That is absolutely gold, that is. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm yeah, you know, there's there's things that you hear from first slip when you walk out to bat or whatever that just if you you could write a book, you know, I, I think is it is it something in the DNA of the guy who stands at first slip that he just has to say something to the batsman when he comes out? I, I don't, you know, I've I've never been a first slipper, so I'm not really up with that one. But clearly, they you know they're taken away at high school or something into a dark room with a guy you know smoking a cigarette, and they get they get just taught these things to say. You know, it's amazing. Uh, I, I love that. Isn't call. it fantastic? <laughs> That's yeah, it is. I mean, it's, and it's, the great part about masters. Role is is the, the half an hour fight that goes on and the games always start late because everyone wants to be at first slip. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, even the guy who's never been at first slip wants to be first slip in the Masters because otherwise you're in the covers and that's mm-hmm. not a good place to be. <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, all right, we, we've got one more in the power play and this is kind of going to sp- start to circle around to something I do want to talk to you about for a few minutes that I know is close to your, your heart and has started to become a little bit of a theme. We keep talking about the Masters and um, certainly a little bit of a theme that's come through over the years and we've talked about Joe Porter and a number of others that um, sadly have, have moved, you know, moved on, um, advocates for mental health and uh, um, I recently spent some time with another great cricketer from the bush who went on to be an even greater AFL footballer, Ross Ditchburn, who's a, a huge advocate for men's health and is doing some great work in the in the southwest right now with that. And I'm, I've, I've mentioned to you, I think, that we might even try and get him on the on the podcast at some point and have a chat. So we'll talk a little bit about your advocacy for men's health in a moment. But 
all of us, you know, and I don't want to diminish anything you're about to say, but all of us have some tough times, some some bad times. Maybe it might even just be a bad day at work or it might even be, you know, a bad couple of hours at work or whatever. Uh, I reckon one of the things that uh, does definitely contribute to to overcoming feelings of, of, of maybe feeling a bit low is a good song, is a, is a song from the past, perhaps a, an album that you've listened to. So what's Wayne Harrington's go-to song or album when you just need that little, you know, pick-me-up sort of thing? What, what, where, where do you go? Gee, some of these questions are just so out there, Rob. Um, <laughs> look, look the power I'd, I'd be denying my, uh, my heritage if I didn't say something from the 80s, something a little bit yeah. Britpop. Um Gee, it has to be my Sharona, doesn't it? Oh, look, you know, if, <laughs> if, if I'm out and about with the, you know, with the the AirPods in, and my Sharona comes in, you know, my 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 walking rate goes up at least half a pace quicker, you know. So, <laughs> how, how can you not feel happy after hearing that? Absolutely, yeah, and you know, just to know that, you know, it was one of the greatest one hit one hit wonders of all time. There you go, uh, my Sharona. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm running with that. We we're eventually going to end up with an out on the paddock um, playlist on Spotify. So my Sharona will probably that. definitely get on there. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll work with that. Let, let's talk a little bit as we start to wind down. Um, Sadly, uh, catching up with you today because uh, I think I say this every time, but I could talk with with guests on out on the paddock for for hours. Um, you you have clearly got a bit of a passion for uh, or an advocacy would be a bit better word for men's mental health. Where in a period of time these days, where that thankfully is talked about a lot more than it used to be. Um, we mentioned dad's era, and um, perhaps that wasn't quite the go to in the 50s, 60s, 70s, certainly. Um, what, um, what led you to kind of get involved with, with men, men's mental health? Well, I think, Robert, like so many illnesses in the community, when you look at depression, um, it touches so many. Um, it's touched my own family and we've lost some very dear and much-loved um, people in our family. Only a couple of years ago, um, I lost a nephew who was a very, very special person to me and, and again, closer to home, you know, we um, in the cricket community in Albany, I think it's, it's really heartening to know that um, when we lost a, a close mate of ours, Greg Steele, that that really, it hit um, our club at Royals hard because the two Steele boys, Greg's sons, played and still yeah. play with us. Um, Greg was a, an active member of the Narricup Cricket Club um, and it really hurt. It still hurts. Yeah. Um, so I think our respective clubs have been fantastic. Narricup have been brilliant um, and we play the Cobbers round each year. Uh, we remember Greg and not only that, but we. it's also about doing something far more useful. We've had um, mental health advocates and professionals in this area um, come and speak to enormous rooms filled with with cricketers after after the day's play to hear about um, the latest strategies and things we can do to help look after each other and um, and I think that's fantastic we uh, we wear Greggy on our shirts on our new master's shirts that I had printed this year and we, we pause before our um, 
the event at, at Donnybrook this year just uh, as we we're walking across the railway line to, to join the show, just to have a, a quick chat about that and the importance of, of remembering, not only remembering Greg, but um, remembering the fact that we have to look out for each other because um, cricket is good for that. And sometimes, you know, if you're a, a white middle-aged man, you know, strangely, you can fall through the cracks if things aren't going well yeah. for you. So uh, we need to be mindful yeah. of that. But I think we're all pretty proud down there of, of where we're headed with, with men's mental health and, and how cricket can play a role. I've got involved recently with a um, uh, initiative, I suppose you say you would say led by uh, a former cricketer, and I know you know him here. He's not a former cricketer. He just played in the Masters Carnival himself and picked up a, a medal, Greg Gardner, who's brought about a... Uh, an initiative in the local area where we live called the the Men's Steak Sandwich Night. And uh, I'd recommend uh, if you see some advertising on that because it is actually an initiative from out of um, the metro area but has filtered its way down here and Greg's leading the charge. Phenomenal night. We just go along and we honour something that, as they call out, men have been doing for many centuries and that's sitting around chewing on a piece of cow or a piece of steak and uh, having a beer and just enjoying life, I guess, or in, and enjoying each other's company. So something that I'd really encourage people to get involved with if, if they haven't already uh, heard of that one. And, and um, certainly down your way um, and what you're doing down there, Wayne, just w- what I witnessed with the Masters Carnival and even the shirts, which were phenomenal. Uh, congratulations. It's not talked about enough. We're, we're right at a period of time as we go to, to air and recording this episode where, you know, we're, we're hearing about Alistair Clarkson and when the scenarios that he's going through and different higher profile sports people, we do start to hear about that a lot more. Um, so well done on what you're doing there and I'm sure that's something we will continue to champion for the Masters Carnival moving forward in particular. Yeah, you know, a shout-out to the, those guys from Narrick up again, um, our good mate Johnny Mile who um, is uh, and Aldo Leonetti, they're, they're great movers and doers of things um, in this field and um, we also like to have that men, men's mental health presence at uh, at our Southern Smash Carnival as well, which is yeah. a huge event, yep. and it's a, that's a great opportunity because of its popularity now um, that we can get that message in front of people. And that's a great segue to the, where I want to finish. We talked about you know your 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 passion and your advocacy for cricket, and I, I was remiss in calling out right at the start that if you weren't aware, of, you know, you don't know Wayne Harrington. Wayne is a a board member on the WA Country Cricket Board, and I can assure you, a very valuable and. Uh, um, much appreciated member of the board, a uh, huge um, advocate. We talk about advocacy, uh, a huge advocate for the Great Southern and what it's trying to to achieve. Um, like all regions in WA country cricket, um, the Great Southern hasn't always enjoyed, you know, a smooth run. There's been some challenges and certainly yourself and, and a few others. I know Greg Stocks and quite a, a number of others that have joined the, the Great Southern board of recent times have, have taken Great Southern to a whole new um, uh, zone, I guess you could say, when it comes to what's available for uh, especially emerging cricketers throughout the region. Tell us a little bit about the building. I want to know, want us to talk about the building for a few minutes. Okay, this building. So what we will be able to unveil within the next probably four weeks, I suppose, um, is the new 
Albany Multi-Sports Indoor Centre. Um, Cricket Great Southern's been the driver of this project to organise some funding and we've been really well supported um, by DSR and the City of Albany, um, Cricket Australia and also, um, you know, locally our own cricket associations, junior and senior, and also um, the local soccer association as well. So to wind it back, you know, probably a year or even 18 months, I think our new board, our, our one of our first topics of conversation that Stoxy and I had was around the the ridiculous nature of having bank accounts with money in and it be hosing down outside and we don't have anywhere to train. Um, particularly mm. these last couple of years, Rob, it's just been ridiculous at home. The amount of rain we've had all the ra- all the way through winter and spring and into our mm. cricket season, we, we haven't been able to do a pre-season, you know, in living memory. It's been terrible. So wow. the first order of business yeah. was really to find a space um, and we were just so very, very lucky because to build what we have already, we, we have a 60-metre by 30-metre shed already built, sitting there, pretty much vacant, waiting for us. And um, our friends at the Albany Agricultural Society um, are the custodians of that shed. Um, It's one of their exhibition halls and really only um, being used, you know, a couple of times a year, once with a show and a a second time with a car show. So we um, were quick to try and arrange at a, a... a good agreement about the use of that space. So um, just last week we finally signed off on the MOU around all of that, but in actual fact construction's already started, the the funding's been secured. So, um, and I believe that this weekend just gone, the the turf was arriving, the synthetic turf to to deck out that enormous, enormous shed. And um, as we speak, there are probably nets and curtains going up and um, so what we're going to have is just an amazing facility where people will be able to almost at any time of night go online, book themselves in. You and I can book a a lane, we can go in there, set up the bowling machine and have a happy hour improving our technique and um, (laughs) turn the lights off as we leave, Rob. Wow. Look, this is this is. Um, I'm hoping people listening in are understanding. This is this is innovation at a really high level. That conversation you had is so true. Uh, why do we, you know, sit around and not use the resources that we do have? And if that includes some some money that's sitting in a bank, why not? Because realistically, um, the opportunity to play cricket has always been a tricky one through certain areas of regional WA because of our weather and how it works out, and certainly down your area. Um, uh, probably more so than anybody. Uh, a fantastic innovation. I really want to applaud um, uh, Cricket Great Southern for where they've landed with this and where they're going. And I suspect it's going to be something that uh, many of the other regions, and I already know Cricket Southwest, are keen to come and have a look um, as to where that might lead all round WA. So fantastic leadership, incredible like I say, innovation, and congratulations to to yourselves and the, uh, yourself and the board in particular for for running with that early days, um, and we'll no doubt uh, you know have have some moments even into the future that will be challenging. But uh, I suspect you guys are up for it, and the passion that I know you've had in leading that has been fantastic. 
we do need to wind things up, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I wanted to also just briefly speak about uh, what I know Don Bradman, we've talked a little bit about him today, used to call about his greatest partnership and that was with um, his wife and your wife, Melanie, um, obviously has uh, played the role of many a... Uh, an amazing lady in WA country cricket of following along for the ride. Uh, how, how's, uh, how, how's Melanie rolled out when it's come to cricket and Wayne Harrington? Well, cricket brought us together, Rob. Um, Melanie is a uh, the mum of, of two fine cricketers and um, who've been through the Royal System. So um, Royals Cricket Club brought us together, which is fantastic. And, um, yeah, I've... I've got a son, Oliver, who's 13, and, and I know he looks up to, to Ted and Jack as as players and, um, yeah, she's a, been a fantastic contributor to the club. She's uh, won our Club Person of the Year award um, for her efforts for the club and her efforts are ongoing. Um, she sees wow. the bigger picture and she understands the importance um, of cricket and what, what it can do for country communities. So, yeah, yeah. we're all very lucky. Wayne... Harrow, unfortunately, we do need to bring this to an end. It's been a fascinating talk for me, uh, not a talk for me, a fascinating listen for me. Um, I I know you were a bit unsure about uh, what you could uh, add in a podcast like this, so I'm going to assure you, mate, from my perspective, and I reckon many listeners listening in right now, they've loved every moment of it right through the, uh, the, the rollicking moments of memorabilia through to playing on canvas out in Darwin and where today's journey has led. I hope you've uh, enjoyed and uh, I always love to give uh, the guests the, the last word. Oh, look, I, as I say, I, I'm humbled by the, by the invitation to come and speak and um, I, I don't know this is going to do great numbers for you, but, uh, but I guess if we can do anything to encourage people to, to use cricket to contribute to their communities, then so be it. So thank you very much. Mate, we called this out on the paddock for a reason and that was we really wanted to get out there and hear from from um, the harrows of this world who've played cricket uh, on canvas, as I said, and, and then gone to the lofty heights if it come, comes of... Uh, playing in England and the, the turf, the beautiful turf wickets at Aquinas or whatever, it's a celebration, hopefully, this podcast of uh, of cricketers of all ilk throughout regional WA. And the thing that I just want to call out in finishing is I witness your passion for regional cricket. I've mentioned your, your passion for cricket in the Great Southern, but you genuinely have an understanding of regional cricket WA that maybe some others don't quite have and and the legacy that you'll leave in regards to that and you're already passing on is exceptional. So, uh, Wayne Harrington, thanks for joining us today on Out on the Paddock. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate. How good. Brilliant, Harrow. Simply brilliant, mate. Along with so many across WA regional cricket in 2023, we celebrate people such as yourself who enjoyed your fortunate time playing country cricket and now simply have a desire to enrich others who are now the current fortunate ones. Thank you, mate. A great episode and great chatting with you. Cheers to you, our listeners. Those who are tuning in regularly to Out on the Paddock, we celebrate you as well. Hit subscribe, stay connected with us, and most of all, long live WA Country Cricket.